Welcome to the Wandering Toward Wisdom podcast. Uh, we are covering the seven deadly sins, and today we talk about wrath. We talk about how wrath is a misperception that arises from an appropriate concern for justice, but it gets twisted and corrupt. Uh, we wonder whether it is practically possible for us to act appropriately out of wrath, uh, which is an interesting question considering how our society is sort of obsessed with wrath these days. And if you want to test this, I recommend you just go ahead and give this a listen. Given my almost complete ignorance with sound equipment, you'll find the sound quality of my voice to be really infuriating. But remember, in your anger, do not sin. Instead, go to tacticalfaith.com, calm yourself with some blogs, with the TF Radio podcast, which involves some great interviews with some uh, kind of big names in apologetics and Christian thought. And if you'd like to throw some money our way so I can get a real microphone, then you wouldn't have to deal with all this. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're talking about anger or wrath, one of the seven deadly sins. And Joel's going to be mainly leading this because I've never actually been angry over anything. I am a caring, loving person who has never once felt frustration. So uh, is lying one of the seven deadly sins? Um, I think they all are related to... Well, I was going to say lying is usually motivated by one of the seven deadly sins. Okay, so. well, um, let's not talk about that. So, uh, we're going to talk about anger and and what exactly anger is. Is anger, it seems like anger is just an emotion, right? And it's an emotion that's simply a response to something that has gone wrong. And it seems like most of us, I think, would say that anger is a is the right response to injustice, and so on and so forth. So, Joel, why don't you tell us how it is that anger or wrath is considered a sin and not merely an emotion that we're having? So, that's a great question. Because the the sin of anger and the emotion of anger are connected to each other. And it's, we've talked, you know, through the through earlier uh, episodes on, on, on this series that a lot of these sins have to do with misperception and the and or misvaluing and so what's going on with anger is usually a misperception or misvaluing um often anger is uh disproportional um or it's um there's all kinds of ways that anger can can be incorrect i mean we talk about righteous anger and um you know, if we if we look at the tradition, the Christian tradition on the seven deadly sins, uh, it's widely agreed that there is a place for righteous anger. It's just that that uh, what constitutes righteous anger is a lot different than I think the way we want to use the term. And that's where we're going to start making. Uh, ironically, we might start making people angry. So, so tell me uh, if if you were to give a, de- a just a simple definition of anger or wrath as a seven deadly sin, how would you, how would you describe it? The, the simple definition would be, um, a misconstrued concern for justice, uh, that, uh, is, that uh, involves some sort of, uh, vengeance in the name of justice. Okay. So, it has to do, it includes a misperception. I mean, there is, there is the element, uh, 
there's that central element. That's where the deception for sin comes from, that central desire for justice, which is a good desire mm-hmm. and should motivate us. But there's two elements there of error, perhaps, and one of them is it's misconstrued or a, mis, a, a confused perception. And the other element is the desire for vengeance. Is vengeance a necessary part of anger? Um, not, so the, the, there may not be an, any kind of physical vengeance, but some sort of emotional or mental vengeance that you would want to enact on that person or at least that in your mind you kind of want to enact on that person um, or thing um, that, that, yeah, yeah it, so it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be actual vengeance, but it can be a desired vengeance or um, a mental or emotional um, vengeance that doesn't leave your, your mind. Okay, so it could, um, I mean, it seems like the first image we have of wrath or anger, that's misconstrued desire for justice that involves vengeance would be probably Cain and Abel, right? Yeah. Just popped up pretty quick. So uh, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve gain the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 4, their children make good use of that knowledge of good and evil, not good use of that knowledge of good and evil by by demanding a kind of justice that was inappropriate. And because Cain was not getting the justice that he felt he deserved, he then enacted violence on his brother and killed him right. uh, for failing to not be as bad as, as Cain. Um, well, is that it? I mean, with, with that one, it was, he was, you know, Cain was upset that, Abel's sacrifice was considered to be the, the, the better sacrifice, and um, you know the, the the one of the interesting things in that story is we don't see God asking for a sacrifice. That was something that they decided to do as a way of of worshiping God, and then it was what was what seemed to be initiated as an as as a desire to worship God then became a competition, and when when Cain was was made to feel less, when he felt that there was an incorrect, that there was a misperception of of his sacrifice, and that Abel was wrongfully given more credit than he deserved, that was what apparently drove him to this response to the response of like killing his brother, a literal right. vengeance. Yeah, and and the, and the justice is something like demand for what Cain felt that he had I mean we can only kind of guess what's going on in Cain's mind initially right but maybe you know I I carried out a sacrifice I mean there's some information there Abel carried out a sacrifice God looked on favor with Abel uh, uh, looked with favor on Abel's sacrifice but did not look with favor on mine and whatever that might mean I mean there's a whole bunch of things that could possibly that could mean right but somehow Abel's Abel's winning in some way and that's not, what, not fair? It's not just? See, it, it, in Cain's mind. Yes, the, the additional misperception that I would add to, to the, what, what you were laying out with anger is, is we can also misunderstand what justice is. And 
a misunderstanding of justice can drive us to act out of anger, out of wrath, and and sometimes think that we're we're, we're exhibiting righteous anger, um, and having other people tell us we're exhibiting righteous anger, right. um, while while failing to actually be working for justice. Yeah, I would dare say the history of the world rides on misconceptions of justice and acting out of righteous, uh, quote-unquote, righteous anger toward one another, while the other side does precisely the same thing, yep. acting for justice in, quote-unquote, righteous anger against us, and we all declare ourselves righteous, and we all seek vengeance on each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and it's very hard. Well, let me ask you this. Justice seems like it's pretty simple, right? I mean, everybody knows what justice is, really. Come on. Uh, uh, Plato's Republic, you know, 10 books, however many countless words about justice, but Plato is just bringing up problems where there aren't problems. We all know what justice is. And uh, justice is when I... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's sort of the joke. So it seems like something... Well, justice is just... uh, just when things are fair or justice is when everyone gets treated equally or justice is whatever. But I, th- I look at my children and, and I realize and watching my children and how childish they are with the idea of justice. I begin to realize that really that's just how I am too. Right. So what does a kid say when, when children use the, learn the concept of fairness, what do they, what do they mean when they say that's not fair? That's against me. Yeah, and I say this all the time to my students. What we actually mean is I'm not getting my way, right? If I'm getting my way and it's not equally balanced, I don't declare that it's not fair. In fact, I will come up with good just, I will come up with with reasons why I should continue to to have the stuff that I have, Um, why I should get more because it just makes, I mean, I'm a good person. I know because I'm here. Um, And so it's not fair. Uh, it's not just because I'm suffering. And so what is justice? Maybe I should, maybe I should say, and maybe we might be going a little bit afield, uh, far, not far afield, but like in dealing with the concept of justice, but this is one of the misperceptions. This is what makes anger a sin is that it comes from a misperception of justice. It is quite possible, I think, for you to have it's quite possible for one, maybe not a human being, that is not also God, uh, to perceive an injustice and have a truly righteous anger in accordance with that justice. Uh, and by the way, in the Greek, the word for righteous and the word for just, they're the same word. So when we say righteous anger, we're talking about a just anger. Um, uh, it would be possible for that to be the case. Um, so, but... And I've talked a little bit about why why we get it wrong. But what what is the justice that we see in Scripture? What is the truly righteous justice? It's a so if we if we want to you know give the soundbite version, it would be justice is things being just as they should be. Um, That's cute. <laughs> But the, there's a sense in which justice is um, making things right, and and in the sense of um, making things so that 
individuals and communities can can flourish um, when given the when uh, or at least given the opportunity to flourish um, in the fullness of, of who they were created to be. Which means we see the righteousness of God. We see God's righteousness manifest in the self-giving love of Jesus. Yeah. So, I guess maybe maybe I can. This might get us into dangerous territory, tricky territory. Is justice when Jesus returns and kills all of his enemies, or is justice when Jesus allow his allows his enemies to kill him? Now, that, that's not fully flourishing. If Christ doesn't rise from the dead, then right. Jesus being killed by his enemies, then really if Christ isn't risen, then there is no flourishing. There's, not, there's nothing that could bring flourishing to us except that which takes flourishing from someone else. So the, the, only, the, only, the only flourishing I should be concerned about is my own, my group, my people. But with Christ's resurrection... The overcoming of death, death itself is the the, the power of death is broken, which means right. there doesn't I mean, need to be an us and them. I mean, I, I, I would I would at least raise the question that the power of death itself is injustice, and so it, it, so but the way that the power of death is conquered is through resurrection, and so the way. So in order for that injustice to be conquered, injustice has to happen, as weird as that sounds. So so in other words, Jesus had to be treated unjustly in order to be able to defeat, in order to bring justice to that situation. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, given given the way the world was, it makes sense. And the way the world is, it makes sense. Yeah. And and so in, in, in that sense, Jesus on the cross is is justice because it's making things right. It's it's restore it's it's conquering it's conquering death, and so when when Jesus comes back to think that he's going to reinstitute the injustice that he of de- you know by bringing death that death by bringing death that he would be reinstituting or bringing some sort of justice when that was an injustice he defeated um, seems concerning to say the least. Yeah, well, I mean, you can you can bring up the idea at least. Uh... The idea that that's, uh, that the death that people taste at the end is not God coming back and gleefully crushing his enemies. Right. But they themselves calling for the mountains to fall on them because they don't want to be a part. Because you can imagine someone who's so consumed by a desire for vengeance right. that when somebody comes and says, listen, the kingdom is, is such that we will all forgive one another. And in fact, the image of justice is not getting vengeance against your enemies and getting what what rightfully belongs to you, whatever that happens to be. But it's the it's the Philippians too. It's Jesus, it's the kenosis element, right? Where right. Jesus, who being in very nature God, gave it all up, surrendered himself to the, the death of a criminal before a bunch of ingrates, you know. That that's the image of justice, not the not the just not the justice of trampling on our enemies and showing them, you know, who's right. Yeah. Because we're stronger. Um so uh 
I think Lewis said something like the gates of hell are locked from, was it Lewis? Yes. Was Lewis, the gates, gates of hell are locked from the inside. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's obviously a metaphor of some sort, but there's something about, uh, there's some element of that that seems to be, that's, that seems to be the case here. Um, so if that's what, if justice looks, if we're going to look for an image of justice, we look at Christ on the cross because we're looking at the righteous one, the just one. And again, in Greek, dikaiosune means righteousness and it means justice. Right. They're the same word. If you read the Republic, Plato's Republic, the word for justice there is dikaiosune, righteousness, which is in the New Testament is what we translate righteousness. Um, and so we shouldn't, we shouldn't see those as two separate things. So the truly righteous one, the truly just one is Christ. And Christ manifests that by humility, by taking the nature of a servant, washing his disciples' feet, carrying people's burdens, dying unjustly, and not demanding that he be given his. Not getting up there on the cross and saying, I mean, seriously, seriously, Father, come on. Let me at least do a little bit of cane on these people. Um, okay, so, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about, so I experience, because we do experience injustice. Yes. Right? When somebody mistreats you, that is, in fact, an injustice because it's undermining your flourishing. And it can perhaps harm you morally, right? Yes. Because it, can, it, it has this effect on you. So when does anger, maybe we've already said this, but somebody does something to you unjustly, you experience anger. When does that anger become sin? And when is it okay? I mean, you might say, well, it's not sin. It's, it's okay when you don't have a misperception and you're not seeking vengeance. Well, so we we could you know follow Aquinas who gives a list of of I think something like eight or nine different conditions that have to be met in order for anger to not be a sin. Um, you know they they but we but I'm not sure that's going to be the most fruitful thing to to dwell on. But let let me just give a couple of his his things. You you have to have the anger directed at the right person. By the right person, so you know if if just because you recognize it doesn't mean you should be angry about it, um, because you might not have been the person that was wronged, um, or that. Wait a minute. Okay, hold on. Wait, hold on here a little bit. Shouldn't we be more angry if somebody else was treated unjustly? Isn't that a sign of compassion and kindness? So, if you, so. There, there's there's a, a danger in us as someone outside of the circumstances thinking they know what's going on in the circumstances and pre, and presiding over it to where we can we're like I'm angry about this but you talk to the people who are involved and they're like no the, like there's if you understood what was actually going on here like this is not your territory to speak to because you have no idea what's going on. Okay. So maybe I can give an example of this. So there's one time, uh, uh, my wife and I were in a fight for something. Um, and this is fairly, it's relatively early in our marriage. And she shared this with, with her mother. She was very close with her mother. And I, I my mother-in-law, I, I loved her. Um, she's fantastic. Um, but one time she shared a frustration that we were having with her mother 
and that was not a good choice. She said, I can't, I can't do that because her mother so immediately was completely on her side that she couldn't, she didn't give good, good advice. She didn't, she didn't even support reconciliation. She was merely encouraging uh, continued animosity because yeah. her daughter is obviously in the right and Chrissy probably was obviously in the right. Well, I mean, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but maybe that's an example. Yeah, yeah, or you know, cause, you know, because one of the the dangers in anger is because it's emotional that we tend to, um, and where it becomes a sin is when the emotion overrides reason. So when when we allow the emotion to to have the final say in it before we dig deeper and find out what is actually going on, that may actually give us good grounds for the anger we feel. But the danger with anger is that we we normally don't, once we feel angry, it's not a matter of, you know, if anything, we're looking for more fuel for the fire. We're not looking for, yes. for well, to, to make it right. You know, one of the things that Aquinas says is when, is anger is wrong when it becomes more about destroying the person rather than the sin. Right, and the way that we normally destroy the person, even if we don't physically attack them, is that the anger causes, and this happens all the time, right? As soon as somebody does one thing bad, you, you, you attribute every action and everything they've ever done to bad motive. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so you hate everything about them. Everything they do annoys you. Everything needs, and so you begin by destroying them in your mind, mm-hmm. and, and, and that is... I mean, have you ever hated someone and then you got to know them and realized, wow, I totally didn't understand. I misconstrued everything they said. It's, it's everything a, they did. It, it can very, anger can quickly become a dehumanizing mentality or a subhumanizing mentality at the least. Right. Where, you know, you, you, you justify your ability or your right, rightness in judging that person wishing, uh, you know, for destruction for them in some way or another and um, and this and and what our anger should be aimed at is the sin yes the sin and 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 almost almost a kind of restoration what does it look like for this per, for for this person who who sinned who did the wrong what does it look like for them to be brought back into their uh, fulfillment and into their flourishing now, this might be taking us to the side a little bit, but we've heard the, the quote over and over again, love the sinner, hate the sin, which is a nice quote. I don't know of anyone who's ever actually done that. Um, I think that's much harder to do than what it sounds like. But it, but here's here's part of the issue, though. A sin, a sin is something that somebody willfully does. And so how can I, if somebody gets hit by a truck, I can be mad. Or let's, I don't know, I get hit hits by a uh, an AI truck, right? One that's a driverless truck. Uh, then I could be mad at the AI. But that's not what sin necessarily is. Sin is something I've done, right? It's not something merely that happened to me so that you can hate the thing that happened. To, like, it's not like getting cancer, even though it sort of is. Um, it's, it's something I've chosen to do. So if, if we're talking about my will and my will being corrupt, how can I 
what does it mean to hate the sin, but actually seek, I don't know, love the sin, or maybe we don't want to use that that phrase. So, well, I, I think Lewis talks about this phrase at one point, and he says that there's only one one person that he's been able to do that with, and that's himself. That he's <laughs> able to hate his sin and and love himself. Um, and, he, he, you know, part of that is because he, he knows, he can see, he sees, can see who he could be or who he's wanting to be or who he's becoming um, in a way that we often don't afford to other people. Right. Um, that's, that's good. That's good. So there's, there's again, the engagement of the imagination. Yes. We talked about this. If you went back to our previous podcast, where we were talking about values and how, how values form our perceptions and so on and so forth. We talked about this, the importance of using imagination and seeing other people. And primarily what we mean by imagination is, you take what you see of yourself that other people can't see and you project it over onto the other person, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's the only reason we have any idea that anybody else is conscious is because we just assume because they're acting like me, I, proje- I imagine that they're conscious. I don't have any evidence and I could never have any evidence to say right. conscious. And so, but we can go deeper than that and talk about, talk about all those different elements so that we love them even while we recognize the corruption of their will, just as we do ourselves. We can love them, yeah. well, I mean, as we love ourselves. Yeah, and and this is this is part of part of the danger of. Well, I mean, I keep seeing the danger of anger. I mean, uh, I I think I think anger is something we need to approach with with caution, as far as if we're going to endorse it in any way. I mean, the one of the most positive things the Bible says about anger is. In your anger, do not sin, or do not let your sun do not let the sun go down on your anger. I mean, it it the Bible seems to treat this as a a dangerous emotion that you're treading on on ground that has the potential to trip you up pretty badly and pretty quickly. And so, don't don't sleep on it. Get rid of it before you go to bed, and be careful that you do not sin in your anger. Yeah, it's we're like I think humans with anger are like four-year-olds with a chainsaw <laughs> you 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 can do something they could do something useful with it but they're probably just going to kill everybody or kill themselves or right. cut off a limb or something uh, right. by limb i don't mean a tree limb and so um so but let's maybe we can mention something about that so we live in an age uh i mean has there ever not been an age like this but where anger seems to be Righteous anger seems to be a really important part of the way that we interact. Uh, important, I don't mean by that. I don't necessarily mean good. And but there's a sense in which, you know, you hear all the time. If you if you look at the way the world is, if you look at whatever, and you're not angry, then you're not seeing it correctly. And perhaps more importantly, you're not going to do anything about it, because it seems like one of the primary, I mean, what are the primary motivators we have? Fear and anger. Fear and anger, you know. Two. Well, th- 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 those are are two of the the probably the two most leading motivators, but I'm not sure that they're the only motivators or even the best motivators. Well, but th- I mean, that's what I. So, if I want to get elected, I convince you that if the other person's elected, the end, you know, hell will conquer the world, and we're all going to be enslaved to demons or something. Uh, or I tell you about the horrible things that that person has done or their party has done or whatever, 
and that thus motivates you to come out and act. And so you, you know, the negative ads in politics or the goal to overcome, you look at even, even a lot of movements for social justice, there's almost no call. It doesn't feel like there's any call to positive action. It's more, it feels like it's more of a call to dislike the right people or to be angry, to be angry about the right things. Well, right. And, and yeah, so, yeah. so can anger be a motivation well, to do yeah, good yeah. things? Yeah. So he, here's the way I look at it. And I think it's, it's the way that, um, I mean, you can, you can trace this throughout Christian tradition too, but anger can motivate people to do good things. Yeah. Yes. But that's not going to be the best way to motivate people. Uh, the best way to do it is going to be out of love. I mean, there, there's nothing, there's no action that will be done better out of anger than it would be out of love. Um, you know, you, you even, you even look at Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement. And, and he, he, you know, he would tell people that, you know, I don't want you marching unless you're doing this out of love for the oppressor as well as desire for, you know, for, you know, the rights of the people who are oppressed, but it, it, it can't be about being angry. It can't be about wanting, you know, to take down the, the oppressor. It's, it's, it's wanting, doing it out, you know, for, because you, you recognize that this person has, has hugely misguided ideas and perceptions and wanting that to be corrected. It's, it's out of a love and concern for them rather than out of, wanting to destroy them. And I think that's where a lot of our activism today uh, can go wrong is you, it, it's, it's, it becomes done not out of concern for the one who has done the wrong, but out of the victim. And we, and I need to be careful. I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that we don't care about victims. In fact, we, we definitely have to care about victims. And I think that's another uh, area where love is going to do a better job because I think sometimes we get so focused on standing up for the victim that we don't actually care for the victim and, and help them to, to, to come back to flourishing. We're more concerned about getting, getting vengeance for the, the victim. I think we're, yeah, I think we're more concerned with hurting the oppressor than saving the victim. In fact, I would dare say if we, if we really pay attention to ourselves closely, that we find that when we hear that someone might have done something that would that hurt someone, we we want it to be the case that they had hurt someone because our anger is delicious. Well, you it, know, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the 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 I forget who said it, but I, th- I think lots of people have said it. But they, you know, anger and and which is which very, very quickly becomes hatred and or can lead to hatred very easily is, is like drinking poison and hoping it hurts your enemy. <laughs> um, it, it has a anger has the potential to destroy you while you're trying to destroy others. But, but let me push back because I mean, don't, doesn't the oppressor deserve to be punished? And is it wrong to 
is it wrong to desire that the oppressor be punished? So, so let me let me dial it back a little bit, and then I'll come back to this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step back, and I want us to you know let let's let's make it a a a much lower stakes uh, situation here. Okay. So I'm driving down the road, and I'm you know practicing defensive driving, which is a good thing because some uh, other person cuts me off and if I hadn't been defensive driving and there would have been an accident, blah, 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 you know, we can lay that out. So if we're in that situation, what would be just or right for that person is um, to maybe have someone else cut them off? I... I mean, I, I, the the you know what what could or what what would be the the punishment that that person needs for the wrong that they've done. I mean, well, we, let me give you an example. So one time I was running over on the shoulder of the road, and a car, the guy must have been looking at his phone, or maybe he was actually trying to hit me. I don't know, but he he drove right where I had been running a moment before, before I jumped out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember looking at him because I was just, I don't know, I was sort of in a, you know how it is when you're running. And I looked back at him and I gave him sort of a, not exactly a Jesus loves you look. Um, <laughs> but there was a police officer driving a couple cars behind him over there. And immediately the, 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 the police officer's lights turned on and he pulled the guy over mm-hmm. um, for crossing the shoulder where there was a runner and almost, I mean, he would have hit me had I not moved. At that moment, I went from dirty look to feeling kind of bad. <laughs> Got a bad one. But isn't that what he deserves? Well, if if we're going to talk about legal justice, then yes. He deserved <laughs> to be pulled over and given a ticket. Um, right. Because that is what our the, our laws have, have said. Now, I mean, morally, I don't know. But it, it, it seems like, at least in my mind, when I'm driving and I get cut off, my inclination is that what what that person deserves is a whole lot worse than any wrong that they have done to me. Now, I, you know, I might be able to talk myself out of it real quick, but, but that initial moment when I feel the anger and I feel judgment and, and wrath towards that person, it's not a um, anywhere near a a reasonable or comparable punishment for the wrong that they've done. Anger tends to be indiscriminate. It just, it's, it, it doesn't discriminate uh, levels or people. So if you get mad about one thing, if you're not, you know, if you're having a bad day because somebody at work treated you like garbage, you come home and you talk like garbage to your kids, treat your spouse like garbage, you treat everybody like garbage, you hate everything, you even treat your cabinets like garbage. Um, and it, it's always far more than what needs to be done, right? Right. Somebody pulls in front of me, and I'm like, "May death and destruction be rained down upon you and your household." And all they slowed me down. I had to, I had to touch my brakes for a second. They slowed me down. You know, I'm going to get to work 15 seconds later, maybe that. And yet, I want you know them to all get the plague and die. So uh, anger is just ridiculous. It tends to be irrational. And yeah, and and it it also doesn't care about. The person's circumstances. 
Now, what if you found out that the person cut you off because they're trying to get to the hospital where their spouse was in an accident and, and has just been brought to the hospital? And that's what and, and that's why they cut you off because they're they're trying to get to the hospital as quickly as they can. Now suddenly you feel kind of bad for getting even the slightest bit frustrated with the person because oh, that's justified, you know, for you to drive less than than ideal. Um you have th- you have important things that that um, justify your urgency and your lack of concern or lack of defensive driving. Yeah, um, and it's interesting just putting using your engaging your imagination a little bit and applying it to the other person. And again, this the speech by David Foster Wallace. This is water, and you know, it's a great example of how to engage your imagination to think about the the situation that other people may be in and how much that humbles that sense of anger. It's interesting because I think anger is a anger is opposed to imagination in an interesting sort of, or at least that the, the proper the good use of imagination, I should say. Well, at, at its core, anger is about judgment, and I don't know about you, but when I'm passing judgment, I always tend to be right. Um, and and so same here. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, I I I don't tend to try to 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 give the benefit of the, of the doubt. I don't try to look for the good in in others. I I tend to be driven to want to make myself right. Um, even when I'm angry with myself, you know, I want to both be right and to kind of destroy the the bad part of me. Um, and it, it, it's a it's a it's a anger tends to be very destructive. And so when we when we talk about injust bigger injustices that have happened. We, we, what are we looking for when we punish? Well, we just, we want, we want that person to hurt. We want that person to suffer. But if justice is about helping to bring about the flourishing of individuals in their communities, what does, hurting someone for the sake of wanting them to hurt doesn't seem to be about justice. That seems to be strictly about revenge. Yeah, what are the perceptions that come with that? Because there seem to be there's a couple of things that seem to that just kind of popped out as as we we're talking. It seems that first of all, your goal is for the person you, the per, you want the other person to know that you were wronged, and that you are in fact the right one in this situation, and you want to use pain to make them think that. Which, by the way, but, I mean Nietzsche talks about this quite a bit. Being punished doesn't make someone feel bad for what they've done. It makes them feel foolish for being caught. It's really the primary thing. Uh, but the other thing is, it almost seems to be a sense, I don't know if this arises out of anger or if this gives rise to anger, or maybe it's a, a mutual thing. They kind of work, work with one another and it's a spiral down. But anger seems to suggest that in order for me to be happy, another person needs to lose something. Because, maybe I should put it this way, the belief that the belief that we can make make past wrongs, that we can right them by doing something, by by enacting vengeance or whatever, that's a very it's a very sort of yummy idea, and it makes for good movies, but it doesn't. That's not how the world works. That's not that's. I mean, maybe that is how the world works. That's not how it. Sh- that's not how flourishing can never come about in that kind of situation. Partly because it's still it's still a way of trying to seek justice that is premised on the idea of death, on the, on the use of death as a means of justice. 
uh, and maybe not necessarily actually killing, but destroying the person in some way, which means you're using sin to bring about flourishing. And God is not Machiavellic. That don't work. Um, the, that's not the structure of reality. And so there's almost sort of a, in order for me to be happy, I've got to cause pain to be on the other one. Any final thoughts? Yeah. On so, so one thing, so a couple of things that, that I think can be helpful is, you know, when, when situations happen, um, when injustices happen, to have a mindset of compassion rather than wrath is a, is a productive way. Because compassion is going to drive you to care about the victims. It's going to care, drive you to care. So, you know, let me, let me pause, step back for a minute. With my kids, when I punish them for, for wrongs that they do, we, especially my oldest is, you know, he's six and a half now, and we're able to have conversations where we talk about what's going on, where we talk about that this is to try and help him remember that he shouldn't do this or whatever. And, and so it's not that, you know, punishment for the sake of punishment, it's not punishment for the sake of, of inflicting pain, but the, the, but that the goal is to help him understand where, where things went wrong, why it's wrong and, and how to make it right. When you're doing that out of compassion, you're going to be able to, to be much more concerned about the flourishing of people, both victims and, and, and the, 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 the person in the wrong than you are if you're going to, if you're angry. Um, a second thing I want to say is we live in a culture that is looking to be offended. And that's incredibly dangerous because offense doesn't trigger compassion in us. It, it triggers anger in us. It, tr- it triggers, you know, we, we, want, we want someone else to suffer when we're offended. If someone offended us, we feel that as suffering. We want to inflict suffering on others. Um, and we don't feel that, you know, we feel that someone has to, um, to suffer for that because we've been wronged and trying to live lives in a way that reduces what, what offends us, or at least what, what, what heightens that emotion in us, but rather having eyes of compassion, um, is going to go a long way in helping us to do that. There, there's a guy named Brant Hansen who wrote a book called Unoffendable. And he, he gives some good practical advice while also engaging some of the, um, there, there's actually neuroscience out there that says anger's not that good for you. Ang- anger doesn't help your decision-making. Anger doesn't, isn't good for your health. Um, and so if we can find ways that anger is not commonly experienced by us, that would be a good thing. But because anger recognizes, you know, anger is a response we feel to injustice, what we have to do is we have to retrain ourselves that when we see injustice, we feel compassion and not compassion that is is passive and just feels bad, but compassion that actually wants to go in and help make things right. If that can be our response, we are going to, there's going to be so much better fruit and so much better results and so much more actual justice in the world than could ever be brought about through anger and a desire for vengeance. That's good. I mean, and I can't, I can't wait until those other people who get offended by stuff I say. 
suffer punishment because they're just annoying me. I'm so, missing the point. So, so let, let me say one more thing. This is something that I uh, struggle with on a daily basis. And while I may have all these great answers, implementing them is incredibly difficult as my life will attest to. And, um, you know, it, in, in a, in a, you know, humorous note, that's, you know, it may have, may be one of those subconscious things where, because I knew I, we were going to be do, recording on anger today, I've, you know, had these ideas in my, in the back of my mind, but goodness, my kids were, were hitting all my buttons this morning. And knowing that I was going to be talking about these, these ways about anger not being good and ways to try and respond instead of anger, even though I knew all that, uh, you know, that was all in my mind, it sure did not, you know, come forth very quickly in my responses. And so while I'm saying all of this, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to say, this is simple. All you have to do is this. It's incredibly difficult, but we, it's, it's, it's work worth doing. And, you know, that's one way that I feel like I've been growing you know, over the last, you know, three, four years is I'm not as angry of a person, you know, when injustice has happened, especially to me or my family. Yes, I still have those, have that experience and, and, and have, and, you know, have those wrong perceptions. Um, but I feel like I'm quicker to, to move myself into a compassionate mindset. And, and if, if anger can be the, a, a signal to us of, something's not right and that drives us to compassion then that initial spur you know moment of anger isn't a bad thing the problem is in most of us that's not how it's used we use the anger to plant the seed that sprouts into all kinds of other bad things anger is a dangerous thing um it can be it can be a an emotional response to something having gone wrong and so it's yeah it's a clue that something's gone wrong but we enjoy our anger too much. And even the general view that vengeance is the solution to past wrongs, um, that is a, that's a, arguably a lie from anger that is shown to be a lie by the justice that is found in Christ. And so now what that means for everyday life, what that means for international you know, politics and national politics and dealing with issues, um, uh, that gets... That's a complicated mess, and we're not going to go there because then we're going to offend everyone, and they'll all be angry with us. <laughs> and uh, we don't want that, so uh, we'll just end right here. Anyway, thanks for listening. This is Travis. This is Joel. Have a great day.